following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Somebody was asking me recently about how I preach or why I preach through uh, certain books of the Bible and the manner in which we do. There's really two reasons for that. If you're new to the church, or maybe you've been around and just kind of wonder. One is I believe, as we've been going through the book of James, uh, that it's important for us just to systematically move through from verse 1 all the way to the end of a letter, because these were letters, at least in the New Testament. Most of them were letters written, and if you've read a letter or email, you read it from start to finish because you want to get the full flavor of what the author is writing you. And so we can go through, and I believe that it's important to see the Word of God in the context in which it was originally written. The other part is I'm really not very good at topical sermons. I try to do them, but I'm just not that creative, and I find myself reaching and grabbing for things. And I find also that when we go through a book like James, it forces us to deal with certain topics that we wouldn't deal with normally. They're uncomfortable. Last week, we were looking at the idea of if James's point in his letter is this, don't just tell me you love Jesus, show me. Don't just profess with your lips that you're a follower of Jesus Christ and then go live however you want to live. Take your life and bring it, as Paul would say, in accord with the gospel. Make sure that you're walking in line with the gospel. Peter would say, live a distinctively Christian life in a distinctively non-Christian culture. If you profess Christ, then live it out. Go for it. The way every bit of your mannerism should be that way. You can't just have a theology uh, that is here uh, and doesn't go down and impact into your heart and how you live your life. Uh, the world's seen that for a very, very long time. And, and the world is turned off by that. The watching world, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say, that the world has the right to judge the gospel of Jesus Christ by the way that the church lives it out. Because the world's watching you, by the way. You do know that. Uh, that there is a, a target on you, per se. There is a mark. We, we looked this morning uh, as Brady Bagasus was coming and professing Christ uh, and being marked or sealed by God's Spirit through the, the water uh, baptism, that we go out into the world and we are marked by Christ, that we're living for Him. And for most of us, we're just trying to make it through without bringing too much attention to ourselves. Uh, that we're just trying to diminish as much this profession for Jesus because we believe that the only way to really succeed in a non-Christian culture, in a secular world, is to diminish who Jesus Christ is in our life. James would come to us and say, I have no idea how to relate to you. I have no idea how you can say that you follow the King of kings and the Lord of lords, how you can say that, that you accept the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, that he who drank the very wrath of God on your behalf, that you would then try to go through life without bringing any attention to the one whom you say you love. James would say, if you love Jesus, live it out. Now, that preaches really well, but oftentimes it does two things. It upsets the flock, uh, and it doesn't attract many other people. And so, as a preacher, you would probably go, I'm going to steer clear of James. I'm going to steer clear of that topic. Because then James gets from preaching into meddling. And meddling is this. Meddling is saying something as crazy as, hey, this week, don't complain. This week, 
Don't defend yourself with your words. This week, don't boast. Don't tear somebody else down. Uh, Don't do those things. The the tongue exercise that we laid out there for you last week, we put it up on Facebook and on the website uh, so you could have it. How how many of you guys tried to do the tongue exercise this past week? A few of you chickens, the rest of you. (laughs) You just decided to blow it on your way out, so you're like, I couldn't do it. I tried. I tried. I don't like Bill McCutcheon. See, I complained right there. I diminished somebody, and so I broke it. Why is it so tough? Why is it so difficult? And and it's so convicting, isn't it? Because all of a sudden you hear stuff coming out of your mouth, and then you look at the Scriptures, you're like, oh, no, that reflects on the condition of my heart. That means I've got an issue with my heart, and I'd rather not deal with the issue of my heart. I got a wonderful email from somebody that said she and her husband just hadn't talked for a while. I figured that was the best way, just not to talk. And that way they would accomplish uh, the tongue exercise. Uh, And so uh, that's not really the hope. But if it helps, you know, silence is a good discipline sometimes. Monks do it. Uh, So, uh, but what James is really challenging us. He's pressing it down to say your profession of faith in Jesus Christ impacts even how you speak. And so he's been giving us a lot of declaratives And now you would be asking, well, then what should I say? If I can't say these things, what should I say? How will I know what to say? How will I know what to speak? How will I know what to do and engage in this situation? How will I know to to do this particular work versus this particular work? How will I know whether or not to do this or not to do that? And that's what we're beginning to look at in chapter 3 at the end of it. And one of the things that James figured out was this lack of wisdom within the church was leading to quarrelsome ways within the church. That it was showing a breakdown that the tongue, uh, and because people were being motivated by a wisdom that was of this world, and they weren't seeking God's wisdom, because they were doing that, it it led to interactions with one another that were breaking down. I've expanded the reading this week to include the first three verses of chapter 4, because it's important to realize this whole section uh, begins in verse 13 of chapter 3, and then really ends up over in verse 3 of chapter 4, because you remember James didn't write with verses and numbers. Those were added later for our benefit, and sometimes to, uh, not to a benefit at all. And what James is really saying is this. If you want to have healthy relationships within the body of Christ, if you want to have healthy relationships and not quarrelsome relationships uh, in your life, you're going to need a wisdom that's beyond this world. You're going to have to go seek a wisdom uh, that is beyond this world if you want to find different results than what you're currently experiencing. Because all of us have breakdowns relationally. I used to do a lot of weddings. I did a lot of premarital counseling, and I would tell couples that you need strong communication skills, and that's important, but you need strong conflict resolution skills because all of us are going to find ourselves in conflict at some time or other. And we're going to need to know how to talk to one another, how to engage one another, how to be at peace with one another, how to restore broken relationships with one another, how to forgive, how to do all of those things. And guess what is sitting in here today? In this several hundred group of people, there are broken relationships. There are strained relationships. There are quarrelsome people uh, in our church. There are, are people who don't know how to engage well. And what James is saying is, I want to help you. And the key to understanding how to engage your life well with the life of another person is to seek a wisdom that's from above, a wisdom that is beyond this world. Because when you continue to seek the wisdom of this world, it leads you to uh, an incident that I still remember as a child. I was learning how to ride a bike. 
And I asked my older sister for wisdom. And I said, Linda, how do I stop this bike? Now, I had a cool, it was Christmas, and it was the best bike. It was red with the big banana handlebars and the banana seat and the tassels and all of that stuff. And it was a cool bike. And we lived on a hill, a really steep hill in Cape Girardeau. And it was grass, and then there was this really sharp drop, and then it flattened out in our, our front yard. And then it dropped again, and it flattened out. So they just basically cut the, the, the yards into this steep hill. And I am cruising down, and I'm screaming at my sister, How do I stop? How do I stop? How do I stop? Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. And you know what she said? Lean over. So as I'm cruising down the hill at a very high rate of speed, and I'm listening to the wisdom of this world given to me by my sister, and I laid down, I was, all, I was done from this side all the way up. And I realized something at that point, never listen to your older sister, younger brothers, ever, ever listen to your older sisters uh, in that. And sisters, you can have a lot of fun with your younger brothers. We're naive. We actually trust you uh, when we're young. And that, but what it showed is there's a wisdom that's really not wisdom, but we keep going back to it. We keep going back to it. The definition of insanity that many of you know is doing the same thing over and over and over again and, and expecting a different result. Many of you are wondering why in your lives that relationships continue to break down. Why you can't seem to make it very far down the road in your growth with Jesus Christ. And part of the problem is you're seeking the wrong source of wisdom. James would, tra- would say to you, try a different source. So let's look at God's word this morning and hear what James would say to us today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. This is the word of the Lord. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. Amen. James is a great writer. He sets the snare. He comes to the congregation and he asks this great question. Who among you is wise and has understanding? And you can see certain people were reading this letter going, oh, that's me. I got it. He's talking about me. And they're probably raising their hands in the congregation going, that's me. He's talking about me. He goes, well, then if you're so wise and you have such profound understanding in you, Then he springs the trap. Let me see it in your good conduct. Show it in your works in meekness of wisdom. 
He said, if you have such profound understanding and you're such a wise individual, then meekness and wisdom should come together within you. Then you should be a man or a woman. And meekness is a, is a great word. It is strength under control is the word in the Greek. It's saying that you are a powerful person. It's said of Christ. He was meek. Christ was never weak and passive, but he was meek. Great power and strength brought under control for the sake and under the guide of wisdom. He's saying, so, if you're wise, let me see it. If you profess to be wise, let me see it working out in your life. And so James is coming, and this morning he's really stating this. The main problem that he is addressing in the church is the, the fact that there are quarrelsome relationships within the life of the church. There are quarrelsome relationships within the life of the church. And if you have quarrelsome relationships, if you're one who is in the midst of it, one who's instigating it, one who sort of propagates those things, then you cannot say that you are wise, and you cannot say that you are one who loves and follows Jesus Christ well. That's what James is really pressing this down to. Now, I will say this. Our church is a healthy church. It's not a perfect church. Therefore, we have work to do in every area of the life of our church. Again, the beauty of preaching through a series like this isn't because all of a sudden I had a quarrelsome week with somebody. and go, I'm going to preach a sermon on quarreling. That'll shut that person up. But I'm just going to preach on it, and I'm going to get them to be quiet and show them that they're wrong. That's not what this. This just happened to come this week in God's providence uh, and in his way of putting it together. So therefore, he has something to say to us that he's determined on this Sunday, the 8th of June in 2014, he wants to say, folks, I want this church to be different. I want this church to have a spirit about it that in the relationships between human beings, sinful, fallen, broken human beings with their own passions, lusts, and all of that stuff, all their greatness and all their wretchedness brought together, that these individuals somehow are going to work it out in a way that brings me glory and surprises the watching world around them. And if we can do that and see that begin to bear itself out in our lives, in our marriages, in how we relate to our children and how our children relate to one another, how our children relate to us, if we can begin to see that we will have such a powerful eternal impact on this island and in Bluffton in this area that there's nothing to stop it. Because people are desiring something different in this world. Do you know what the world is really like? You've been out there. You've lived it. Here's what the world is like, and I'm going to go back. And for younger kids, uh, you may not know what a marble is, but a marble is a little piece of quartz or, and, or marble round, and you would play a game. They would um, have a circle, and you would play marbles. And there's an old saying that you would be with your friend, and if your friend got mad at you, what they would do, guess what they do? They'd take their marbles, and they'd leave. That's how our world is, isn't it? We get along to a point, and then all of a sudden we come to a crossroads, and we go, hmm, don't think I want to be with you anymore. I'm going to take my marbles and I'm going to leave. And we leave institutions, we leave relationships, we leave places, we just leave. We isolate, we have no idea how to resolve it. Just look at junior high. If you want a microcosm of adult life, go look at a middle school. I like that person. That person didn't smile at me. I don't like that person anymore. I'm not going to be with that person anymore. And I'm going to tell all my friends not to be with that person anymore. I'm going to be quarrelsome. And I'm going to move my way. And I'm going to isolate that individual. And it's just all of this. And then all of a sudden one day it's like, oh, oh, I like you again. And so we'll be friends again. And so we're hanging out. It's just that way, isn't it? How many of you remember middle school? How many of you would like to go back to middle school? Yeah, me neither. Absolutely not. It is brutal. But it's a microcosm of what life is like. And you know where middle schoolers learn it? They learn it from us as adults. 
They hear mom and dad talking in the car, in the van, in the carpool line. They wonder why mom and dad don't hang out with the Smiths anymore or hang out with the Joneses anymore or hang out in the same way they used to hang out. And they hear mom and dad say, it's because so and I don't like them anymore. They've done something to hurt my feelings. And they realize, well, mom and dad don't work through relationships, so therefore I don't have to work through relationships. I'll just move on to different relationships. Or worst case, I'll just isolate myself and have no relationships of meaning in my life. James is saying this, the church should be different. And the first thing he says is healthy relationships demand a new wisdom. Healthy relationships demand a new wisdom. Verse 17, 18, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So first, let's look at this wisdom that's from above. This new wisdom is a Christian wisdom. It's a godly wisdom. And the first thing you need to see is the source of this wisdom. He says it is from above. We finished our study in Ecclesiastes. Hopefully you remember a little bit of that. Uh, But it basically was saying this. Vanity of vanities is to live as if this life is all there is. It's the greatest of vanities to have your horizon set only on this temporal world. But one who can understand this life and thrive in this life has his vision and her vision set to one who is above. And it's above the sun. The one who looks and says, that I can learn how to engage this life. And you can imagine that James was well versed in the Old Testament. And he would have known uh, the Old Testament. And he would have known Proverbs chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. For the Lord, for Yahweh, gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of righteousness, of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the pers- perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and are devious in their ways. So James was basically saying, first of all, if you want to change the way your life is, if you want to engage and show that you have a faith in Christ and that faith is working itself out, then your relationships have to change. And the way that your relationships change is go to a different source of asking, how do I deal with this person? How do I engage this situation? Because don't you make those snap decisions, hundreds, if not thousands of them, every single day whenever you see someone coming. Driving a car, you're making thousands of decisions. How am I going to respond? Am I going to break? Am I going to turn? Am I going to speed up? Am I going to look to the left to see if somebody's there? Am I going to look to the right to see if somebody's there? Need to check the rearview mirror to see if somebody's there. What am I going to do for the person tailgating me? What am I going to do with the person standing up on the right who's going to cross the road? What am I going to do with the person riding the bike over here? What in the world is a traffic circle? All of these things come into your minds. It's the same way in relationships. You see somebody walking towards you. Oh, no, there's Bob. How am I going to respond to Bob? Bob and I had a conversation. I was supposed to deal with Bob. Bob upset me last week when he said this, or I haven't seen Bob, and I wonder why I haven't seen Bob. And so therefore, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to come. And you're asking a hundred and all of these things. And you're going, and finally you just go, okay, well, I'm just going to... Hey, Bob, how you doing? Well, if you thought about it, Bob just lost his wife to cancer. 
And Bob's alone in his home. And, and Bob is isolated. And how you doing is the best thing you got for a greeting. Because that's what we do in our culture, right? Hey, how you doing? Do you really want to hear what the other person has to say? Have you ever been stopped by a person who began to answer that question to you? Jen, how you doing today? Well, Bill, you know, it's uh, good to see you. Like, I didn't really mean it. I didn't want it. So we've got to go. There's a wisdom that comes from above. This person's coming to me. This person's in my life. How am I going to engage this person? What should it look like for me to be engaged with this person in a Christian relationship? It doesn't mean that the other person is Christian. But it means in this relationship, be it this person Christian or non-Christian, how am I going to look? What's it going to look like? So look at some of these characteristics of this Christian wisdom which comes from above. And so the first thing really you need to be asking yourself is, where are you seeking wisdom? Where are you seeking wisdom? What are the books that you're reading on wisdom and leadership and how to engage in relationships? What channels are you watching to get your life story put together and how to do that? Where in the social media are you dealing with relationships? But it says Christian wisdom comes from above, and first it's pure. There's a purity to Christian wisdom that says, I desire truth. I want a relationship with you that's built upon truth. Is that, that seems easy, doesn't it? Is it easy? Man, we've lived our lives hiding things, don't we? We, we lived, somebody came with me the other day and said, Bill, you look like you've lost weight. You know what I'd done that day? I put on a bigger black shirt. <laughs> hey, you know, you wear vertical lines and not striped lines, this line, right? And so we try, we try to decide. I tell young couples, dating is all about concealing. Marriage is all about revealing. And so you date to look perfect, to look good, to look all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden you get married and the person goes, who, what? And who, you're not the same person because you've been concealing yourself. And then you find out in marriage, to have a happy marriage, you probably need to continue to conceal. You need to continue to hide certain things. And then you find out in your workplace where you can't truly be truthful. You can't want purity above all else. It can't be that good of a virtue because it, it gets in the way. And so you just say, so how are things? And you know what we respond? So how are you doing? So how are things in your life? You know what all of us respond? I'm good. You conceal. But a real relationship, a Christian relationship, informed by the wisdom that comes from above, says, no, how are you really doing? I want truth. I want to know how you feel about me. I want to see if there's anything between us that needs to be restored. It's about truth, and it stands for truth. What that also means, if I see something in your life that isn't pure, I am, it demands, wisdom from above demands that I call it out loving, but I call it out in you. And I say, you know, I know you say you're living for Jesus, but I can't just look away at this. And so that leads us to the second thing. The wisdom that comes from above is first pure. It has a desire for truth and purity in it, but it is also peaceable. It's saying, I want to be at peace with you. I want to live well with you. And so I'm going to hold up truth in your life, but I'm going to do it in such a way that has mercy and grace and comes together. Most of us don't know how to do that, so we either stand at the side and we go and take a spiritual gifts test. How many of you have taken a spiritual gifts test? A few of you? How many of you have been shown that you have the gift of truth-telling? Well, you don't need to raise your hand, but here's what I find about people with truth-telling. I like to not be around them. Because what they take that spiritual gift as is, I just get to speak truth at you. 
You know, Bill, you, and I had a man do this one time. I was at church, and I had gained a little weight, and I hadn't gone to the gym in quite a while, and he used to go to the gym, and he said, Bill, I haven't seen you in the gym in a while. And I said, well, I haven't been there because the free membership ran up, and I couldn't afford to be a part of it. didn't want to spend the money. He goes, yeah, I've noticed you're, you're carrying a little bit of weight in your face. Just telling you the truth. Thanks. Appreciate that. Lisa, they don't like me. You know? Truth tellers. James would say, no, no, no. You don't just just to say truth without peace. You don't just get to declare truth. Too many of us, especially in our theological discussions, we beat the fool out of everybody else who doesn't agree with us theologically, and we don't understand at all peace. And then the other side of you is this. I don't want to speak truth because that could lead to conflict, so I'm just all about peace. I'm just all about togetherness. I don't want us just to be happy and to be one. James says the two, godly wisdom brings together the ability to bring both of those here say we're going to be about purity and we're going to be about peace. Wouldn't that be something unique for the world to find? As they peeked into our doors, as they looked into our relationships, into our homes, they would see people who said, you know, that really hurt me. But I love you and I've forgiven you, but I want you to know that hurt me. And I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be at peace, but I've got to speak truth to you. Wow. That has a great opportunity for good things to happen uh, at that point. So he says it's peaceable. It's gentle as he moves on. I'm just going to read these. We're not going to go through all of them. Uh, gentleness is a very unique word. It's really only used here and, uh, and incredibly it's used actually three places. And it says it indicates a willingness to yield to others and a corresponding unwillingness to exact strict claims. It is a willingness to yield to others and a corresponding unwillingness to exact strict claims. What it's basically saying is, I remember reading a story about Dean Smith, who was the basketball coach at Chapel Hill for many years. And he said, if you make every battle in life, life and death, there's going to be a whole lot of dying. He was speaking about a gentleness and a wisdom that said, you know what, I can concede here. I can concede without flattery. I can concede without giving up purity and peace. I can concede because there's a gentleness where I want to be engaged in your life. So it's really not the word gentleness that we think of like with a lamb. But it was an ability to concede certain things at certain times without having to exact strict claims. It's spoken of as Christ in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10 and of an elder in the church. Interestingly, it's that word that's used in 1 Timothy 3.3. It says that the shepherds of the church should be gentle. Open to reason. Ah, there's one for us. How you doing on that one? You ever been with somebody who's not open to reason? You know what I normally do with that person on Facebook? Unfollow. I still want to be friends, but I've got certain friends. They're just un- you just can't reason with them. There is no reasoning with that. Some of you wives are going, I know exactly who you're talking about. And they're sitting next to me. Because your husband is going to win the day. They're, going to, they're unopen to reason. Or if you've talked at times and you've gone, I just, I'm not telling you you're wrong per se. I, I just want to talk to you about the choices that you're making. That you're open to reason. The Jewish understanding was that there would be a group of people sitting sometimes at the, at the gate of the city. And you would come and you would go and you would talk to them about your life. And you were open to reason. You would listen to them and say, I don't know the path, but I'd like to talk with you. There is a humility that comes with that. And that you go to people who are wiser than you, who are a little further down the road than you, 
and you're open to reason. So this wisdom, this Christian wisdom is open to reason. It's full of mercy. It's full of good fruits. And that should take you right back to Galatians 5. That a life that is filled with Christian wisdom and how it looks and acts should be one that has love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, uh, goodness, and self-control. That it's impartial. That you're not just about being with one person or another or a type of person. And that it's sincere. You ever been around an insincere person? Do you enjoy being around that person? Most of us in the South aren't very sincere. And I've used the illustration before, and someone just told me about it. It happened in their life, too. That they had said to somebody, and what's it that you normally say to somebody when they're leaving? Well, just stop by any time, or come by, just call, just drop by. Do you mean that, really, in the South? Of course not. That's just a pleasantry. I actually had somebody take me up on it. They showed up for a week. They were from Australia. They didn't know I wasn't being sincere. They just assumed you're a godly person. I, you were my friend. And you said, come by anytime you're in North Carolina. I never expected them to be in North Carolina. They lived in Australia. And they showed up the day before Thanksgiving. Hey, Mom, Dad, this guy called my card, the sincerity card. And you know what my godly parents did? What in the world? What kind of person would do that? They were good southern folk. You know, Mom wasn't, but Dad was. And Mom was just going along for the ride. And so we just do that. And you can pick up insincerity faster than anything else, can't you? When you say to somebody, how's it going? They know whether you care. Whether you say, hey, I'm going to follow up with you. Hey, I want to be engaged with you. I'm going to walk through this with you. I'm going to be with you through whatever it is. Sincerity comes. But then there's the flip side of this, and we've got to move a little quicker, a lot quicker uh, on this. So healthy relationships demand a new wisdom. The new wisdom is what we were just looking at. The old wisdom, and you can see uh, these things of old wisdom, is verses 14, 15, and 16. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, so you do not boast and be false to the truth, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. What you can begin to ask is this. Hold these things up against your relationships and against the way you interact with other people. And if you see them in your relationships with other people, then you have to say there must be an ungodly wisdom that's driving my relationships. There has to be another source. And these things are, it's rooted in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Isn't that what drives our culture? Don't you... Hmm, what's a good way to put this? Rejoice with those who rejoice. That sounds nice, except when that person gets something that you so wanted. And then you're all of a sudden going, wow. I remember in our lives, we miscarried twice while two of our very closest friends were pregnant. And to try to rejoice with those who would rejoice and not have deep and bitter envy and jealousy of what was going on in their lives was incredibly difficult. But God's calling us that so... If you find an arrogance within you, that it's earthly and it's natural and it's demonic, and here's the real thing, if it results, if the results of all of this are disorder in your life, think about your relationship, think about your marriage. If it has disorder in it, if your family has disorder, that means you're going, you're coming from a different, wrong source is what James would say. Look to a different source in that. And then the next big thing I'd like to say is this. And that James says, our relationships, they break down. They break down at a heart level. 
the verse, the three verses of four, chapter four say, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? You're probably going, yeah, I'd like to know that. Here's the answer. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. The word that he's using there is a word, hedone. You can kind of pick up where that word leads to, hedonism. And another word that's translated for passions is the word epithumia, and it's the word that Paul uses for over-desires. He says your relationships break down when you're listening to another wisdom because your passions are at conflict within you. You've got the passions of Jesus Christ here and you want to do this, but your flesh says, I want to be happy. I want to be where that person is. I'm jealous of that person. I'm this. And he says, if that's in your life, what naturally happens is you commit murder. Now, you you go, I haven't committed murder. Jesus would say, yeah, but have you been angry with your brother? Have you spoken ill of your brother? Have you torn them down? Then you've committed, you've committed murder in your heart. You see, anger is just murder in seed form. Lust is just adultery in seed form, waiting for the right ingredients, waiting for the right things to come along so we can spring forth and bear out to its ultimate end. And what James is saying here is at the very heart level, you've got to ask, what are your desires? You've got to sit down and do some work. And so the question is, if you want to have healthy relationships and you want to seek the wisdom from above, you've got to ask and do some internal work of the passions that are battling within you. I want to be ahead in life. I want to be this. I want to be popular. I want to be whatever. It's going to be battling then against the Christian wisdom and against the godliness that's over here. And so it's at a very deep level where you have these battles happening. And then the final thing we'll wrap up here. Earthly relationships, good and healthy earthly relationships, are a result of our heavenly relationship. Verses 2 and 3. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You see, James already said earlier in verse 1-5, If anyone of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So what he's saying is if you want wisdom, ask. And here's what you're going to gain. You're not going to gain a checklist. You're going to have to flip over to Paul, and we'll end with these words. Here's what you're going to gain when you ask wisdom. Not a philosophy, but a person. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it was written, let the one who boasts, 
boast in the Lord. Amen. I found something in this study. Writing the conclusions to these sermons is incredibly easy because James gives the same conclusion every single time. Do you want healthy relationships? Do you want a wisdom that comes from above? Seek Christ. Find Him. Pursue Him. Let Him be your ultimate passion of your lives. If you want to have godly relationships, then pursue God in Christ. For he says, that's who you receive. Do you want the wisdom of God? God said, I will give you wisdom. He gave us the Old Testament. He gave us the New Testament. But he gave us Christ. And guess where Christ resides now? Do you know where he resides? In you. Did you realize that today? That the very wisdom of God has taken up residency within you. And by the power of the Spirit, it is there. And so when you find yourself in any situation, do you know the power source that you have? To say, God, how should I respond to this? God, give me wisdom at this moment. How? And now work through and overwhelm my other passions. Be honest about them. I'd like to be punitive to that person. I'd like to be judgmental to that person. I'd love to tear that person down. But Christ living in me won't let me do that because he's invaded every area of my life and my mind and of my heart. And therefore, I will seek Christ. And I will love you as Christ has loved me. And I'll forgive you because Christ has forgiven me. And I'll take a bad rap and my reputation may take a hit so that yours won't because Christ took a hit so that I didn't have to take a hit. And you find Christ. So that may seem incredibly simplistic to you, but I don't know any other answer. If you want to grow in your faith, if you want to grow in your walk with Christ, seek Him. Don't seek wisdom per se. Seek Christ and from Him flows wisdom to us. If we all work on that together, we can do great things. How many of you have that down pat? A couple of you? Stay clear of those guys. But the rest of you, we'll figure it out together. And it's a great walk, isn't it? It's a great walk because if you're an adult and you're around a child, guess what you notice? That the child isn't an adult and he needs or she needs your engagement. If you're a child and you look at adults, you realize, I need their engagement. And so we, all along the continuum in our lives, we come together and we live and we push and we love towards that end to not be quarrelsome, but to surprise the world on how this church, this body lives together. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you had no other plan to reconcile this world to yourself than through your son, Jesus. And so you gave us Jesus. And now you've said to us, your church, the body of Christ, the body of Jesus in this world, that you have no better way to reconcile us one to another and to the world around us than through Jesus. And so would we seek him? Would we find ourselves in him? Would we be lost and enraptured in him? And God, in that, would we be able to love one another well? Grant us that wisdom that seems like foolishness to the world around. But would we care less today about what the world thinks and more today about what you say. We praise you and give you glory in Christ's name. Amen.